You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast. Your number one podcast for Florida Gator football. Scared money don't make money. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Getting Swamped. This is none other than your boy, David Soderquist. And man, I don't even want to talk about it, man. Florida loses to LSU once again for the fourth year in a row when they had no business losing to them except for 2019, 45-35 in the swamp. LSU <laughs> scored at will. I mean, I can't really say anything. I think it was six or six straight drives LSU scored on. Florida only had two stops the whole entire game. One because an LSU receiver dropped the pass. And before this interview, and you'll hear it from Will Miles, I mean, they had plenty of people open on that play. The other stop was when we actually needed a play, Gervon Dexter made one. Can't get that kind of hustle off of every play, just only when you need one. So we'll break it all down here briefly with Will Miles, and I'll break it all down here briefly too. And, you know, this is a uh, something that really just, when I ran the numbers, it bugged the hell out of me. So we'll, we'll go down LSU's offensive statistics before they played Florida. Points per game, they were averaging 25.2. Florida gives up 45. Points per game in the first half, they were averaging 9.6. Florida gives up 28. Points per game in the second half, they were averaging 15.6. Florida gives up 17. Yards per game, 404.6. Florida gives up 528. Rushing yards per game for LSU is 161 before entering the game. Florida gives up 179. Rushing yards per attempt was 4.4 for LSU. Florida gives up 4.7. Quarterback sacks that they allowed per game was 3.8. They were ranked 119th in the quarterback getting sacked on offense. Florida had only one sack the whole game. Passing yards per game, LSU is averaging 243.6. Florida gives up 349. Yards per pass attempt, they were averaging 6.7. Florida gives up 10.9. Third down conversion percentage for LSU was 43.48%. Florida gives up 66.6% of the third downs. Interception thrown per game, LSU, uh, they they don't turn the ball over. They were sixth in the nation without turning the ball over interception, so they, they threw zero. Fumbles per game. LSU was ranked 101st in fumbling the football. No forced fumbles against LSU, except for that muff kick, which isn't really a forced fumble. They just muffed the kick, which actually fell into Florida's favor, and it was actually lucky. This score could have been worse if LSU just kicked, just catches that ball. So just a, a brief breakdown of, of the damage that they did to Florida's defense. And as I said, I mean, you know, the offense isn't perfect either. But with this kind of a defense, you have to be spot on perfect to win a football game. And that's something that you just can't ask from Anthony Richardson. You can't ask it from anybody on that side of the football. Patrick Tony, these players, you got to blame them both. And I asked that question out there on Twitter, and I'll read some of your Twitter comments out there because I had a resounding, <laughs> resounding amount of comments when it came to that. So, yeah, we'll break it all down here. We'll break it down briefly here with Will Miles here in a second. But I just want to get my thoughts off about the game here first. But before I do that, I want to give a shout out to Harmonic Woods Tailgate. Man, that is the biggest tailgate I have ever attended there. 
there was at least over 100 people there. Shane Matthews showed up. Frankie Hammond Jr. showed up. A lot of other guys, uh, former Florida Gator media or former players, they were they came by, they swung by too. But, man, that crowd at that tailgate was insane. So I have to give a special shout-out there to Harmonic Woods Tailgate. If you guys never stopped by there, it's a good time. It's a good time. There'll be one more home game here, South Carolina, uh, for this year. But uh, Harmonic Woods does travel. So if there's any away games, the Jacksonville game coming up in two weeks, if you're attending, stop by there, man. They travel and they have a good time, no matter who's around. So, yeah, man, uh, it was okay being out there in the crowd. I'll say this. The crowd was electric all the way through. Nobody left the game. The uh, don't back down, everything. I I know a lot of those recruits, they loved that visit too. Uh, A lot of guys that were there. Uh, lots of recruits. They love that visit. So uh, whenever you're at a game, and I'll say this for you Florida Gator fans, if there's a lot of recruits there, and even if there's not a lot of recruits there, always stay, always give the enthusiasm, man. The recruits see that, and they're like, man, this place is electric when they're losing. What's it look like when they're winning? So uh, shout out to all the fans that stayed, didn't leave, didn't try to beat traffic or anything like that. Um, but, man, Florida just, they're, they're, this defense, <laughs> They're going to have to figure something out in two weeks. And I don't even know if they can. I have no clue. Um, Patrick Tony's got a lot of work cut out for him. Some of the other defensive staff. It's just bad. It, 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 there's no excuse for all the talent that you have on this team. I don't care if they're not your guys. No excuse for this defense to be this bad. It's okay if it's ranked 80th, 85th. <laughs> maybe, maybe even you hit the 90s close to it. You shouldn't even really be hitting 90s with this kind of a talent that you have on your defense. Should be around that 80 to 60, maybe, if it's if it's one of those type of years. Dude, we are ranked in the hundreds in many categories on defense. No excuse. Let's get into Anthony Richardson. 15 for 25, 185 yards passing, 60% completion rating. Also had 109 yards rushing, that big run that he had uh, right there. After don't back down, actually, <laughs> after the song, he runs in that uh, that that touchdown there, uh, 109 yards there. Anthony Richardson, 294 yards out of 395. The rest of the team only had 101 yards itself. As I said, Richardson can't do all this by himself. Now, I'm not blaming the people on offense. The, the, the game plan is the game plan. There's a lot of time for Anthony Richardson. Screwed up a little bit, obviously. You know, he's still bulleting passes every now and then. He's starting to get that a little bit under control now, but he's still starting to bullet some uh, some inaccuracies there. And the running game, I mean, Montreal Johnson, 57 yards on 13 attempts, 4.4 yards per rush. I mean, LSU did a pretty good job stopping the run. Uh, ETN, 3.5 yards per rush. And Lingard, we got to see Lorenzo Lingard out there. For the first time, and if you uh, go to the teleconference that was earlier today, I, I, I was able to get some notes from those. Uh, they asked if Naquan was hurt, or uh, is that why Lingard is taking his spot? And Billy Napier said, "No, Lingard's or Naquan's fine." So, at least I'll say this: the uh, the staff is evaluating players that aren't performing, or um, maybe not as I I I, I don't want to call out Naquan right or anything like that. He just came back from injury. Uh, I, I think he just needs to have a year and then come back next year maybe maybe he's a little bit better I don't know but at least they're taking the approach of seeing who's better on that side of the football playing them I mean it took them it took them a while but still you know 
Obviously, you wouldn't have got that with Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen would have just kept running the same guys out there, rotating three running backs for, you know, five carries a game or something like that. So that was something good to see in this game. But, man, you don't even want to go to the defensive numbers right now. So what we're going to do now is turn it over to my buddy, one of my good friends, one of the most intelligent minds, I always say that, in Florida Gator Nation, Will Miles. We'll turn it over to him from ReadAndReaction.com. And we'll break down what happened briefly against LSU and what Florida can do moving forward in this bye week because, man, I'm telling you, <laughs> hey, you got to figure something out on defense. Uh, this Georgia team is uh, leading a lot of statistical categories, and uh, but we got a shot. There's a chance. There's a chance. Uh, me and Will will talk about that towards the end of it. But I caught up with Will Miles earlier this week, and we will break it all down here on Getting Swamped coming up. Need a sign for your company, your man cave, your live stream or podcast? Give my guy Brandon White a shout out at White & Sons Wood Carving. He has the best handcrafted signs nationally, all custom fit for your needs. With state-of-the-art paint and epoxy, you can have that glow of your sign too with some custom LEDs as a package as well. Give him a shout out on Twitter at WS Wood Carving. You can also follow him on Twitch and check out his Facebook page at White & Sons Wood Carving. Top of the line signs made from scratch. Not a great week if you're a Florida Gator fan, but if you're a fan of prizepicks.com, you probably had a great weekend, especially if you took the over on Tennessee's offensive numbers against Alabama like I did. And you can have the same luck I had with a little bit of extra cash in your wallet from your boy, David Soderquist, when you join prizepicks right now with promo code SWAMPED. Sign up for prizepicks right now with promo code SWAMPED to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. PrizePix offers a variety of sports to choose from, like basketball, baseball, football, tennis, esports, any sport you name it. PrizePix will hook you up right in there. PrizePix also offers fantastic customer service that is rated 4.8 stars on Apple Podcasts out of thousands of reviews. PrizePix is safe. It takes 60 seconds or less to sign up. So sign up right now with promo code SWAMPED. Log in and start playing fantasy today at PrizePix.com. PrizePix.com. Daily Fantasy Simplified. You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast with your host, David Soderquist. Your number one source for all things college football and Florida Gators. All right, folks, joining me on Getting Swamped from ReadingReaction.com, the man who is one of the most intelligent minds that I know out here in Gator Nation here, Will Miles, ReadingReaction.com. And Will, this uh, <laughs> this LSU game this past weekend, man, it was, uh, I went to the game. It was fun. I'll say the atmosphere, the crowd was electric. There was 90 plus thousand there. Uh, so anytime something happened, you didn't hear it. And every time something happened, you heard it. Not many LSU fans were there, surprisingly. But uh, Will, man, you watch the game, obviously at home. We'll recap LSU here real quick. And as we all know, the defense has been the main issue heading into the bye week. The defense has been the main issue pretty much this whole year. Uh, what are your general thoughts about last weekend's game? I mean, my general thoughts are is that I assumed that if Anthony Richardson didn't turn the ball over, if he averaged seven or eight yards an attempt, and if he ran for 100-plus yards, that Florida was going to win in a laugher. And because for two reasons, one is I, I thought Florida would score a bunch of points. And the other is I didn't really think LSU was going to be able to score all that much. And, you know, they haven't been very good offensively all year. 
And little did I know that, uh, you know, it's one of those irresistible force meets the unmovable object, except uh, the reverse when it comes to the Florida defense. And so, you know, I mean, Florida got torched on the defensive side of the ball. And we've known that the defense hasn't been good. I don't think we thought it was this bad. I think we thought there were there were some at least I thought there were some signs of improvement against Missouri. Um and I thought LSU had a very similar profile to Missouri. And it turns out that some of the turnovers that Florida got against Missouri didn't happen against LSU. And and Jaden Daniels played out of his mind and, and LSU torched Florida. So um, my perception is, is that I've always thought that Richardson had an opportunity to carry the team if he played well. I thought he played really well in this game and carried them offensively. But to ask a guy like Richardson to just go up and down the field constantly – put so much pressure on the offensive side of the ball. Like, you know, they, they punted there at the end of the half when it was 21-21. You're sitting there going, geez, if LSU gets a touchdown here, then they get the ball coming out in the second half, and all of a sudden you're down two touchdowns, same as it was against Tennessee. And, you know, again, it's it's the it's the general feel of things, which is that the offense just cannot allow the defense to to fall behind because if it does, there's no way they're getting the ball back. Yeah, this defense or this offense definitely does not have uh, Kyle Trask, Kadarius Tony, and Kyle Pitts to dig them out if something like that happens. So, uh. well, I mean, look, I, I think I think it's important to note, like 2019 against LSU with Joe Burrow going up and down the field against Florida defense, yeah. Kyle Trask and Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts couldn't compete there either, right? They had one turnover, that one turnover in the end zone. I mean, they were driving down to tie the game. Trask throws the interception. I think he was throwing to Trevon Grimes, or maybe it was Van Jefferson. I can't remember, but he was throwing to, I think it was Grimes in the end zone. And, you know, there was probably a pass interference there, and, but they don't call it. It ends up being an interception, and, and, LSU goes the other way for a touchdown. Again, up two touchdowns, and then Florida could not get Burrow off the field. This isn't Joe Burrow. Jaden Daniels is not Joe Burrow. That's the problem, right? Is when you get lit up by Hendon Hooker in Tennessee, you say, oh, okay, like that guy just lit up Alabama. Maybe the defense isn't as bad as we thought it is. Um, but when you're getting lit up by Jaden Daniels, who quite honestly had, has not played well for about three years now, he's been an average quarterback to below average quarterback for the last two or three years. He was below average coming into this game, and he's probably about at average now when you look at all of his stats because he had a QB rating like at 190 for oh, this game God. and 194 and uh that's that's just not good enough <laughs> no not at all I, I think they prepared for the counterplay i think they watched last year's film and just said all right defend the counterplay that's it <laughs> well i will say i think florida came out thinking that lsu was going to try to run the ball they also thought that Jaden daniels was going to try to use his legs a lot specifically on third down you saw him real early on on some of those third and longs only rushing three guys with somebody spying yeah. and you know trying to keep Daniels in the pocket. And it turns out that played right into what LSU wanted to do because Florida couldn't cover on the back end. And because everybody was open, Daniels was able to sit back there, had plenty of time to throw. And you know he, it wasn't like he was throwing lasers out there. The first third down conversion was a duck. It's just the guy was so open that uh, you know that, that it was able to land. Same thing, I think the next third down he threw one, like it was a yard short of the first down actually between Bernie and uh, I can't remember who. I guess it was Torrance. No, Dean maybe. Dean and, and Bernie. The the play where Bernie got injured, um, where they sort of sandwiched the guy, but he still caught the ball. Ends up a yard short of the first down. Hey, a third down stop, and then uh, they converted <laughs> the fourth and one. So yeah, uh, rough day for the Gator defense. Yeah, I thought it was funny. The the only stop or the first stop that they had, it was just because an LSU player dropped the football. <laughs> so, and you're sitting there looking at it, and you're like, okay, well, Florida has a shot. They score, right? And then you have that Jason Marshall interception, and, uh, of course, it gets called back for roughing the passer, and the whole crowd is is uh, booing. And uh, it, was, it was pretty – it was electric when we scored, but, man, 
when something happened like that, <laughs> the that crowd was rumbling hot. I mean, I, I remember sitting down and uh, I think I heard like that. I think I felt something shake when that all happened. When Jason Marshall, you know, gets that interception and then they call the rough in the passer, and the crowd's just like you could hear the course of booze. I probably echoed for miles. It was bad. <laughs> Well, and you know, right, that that was the problem is you knew the minute that got called back, you're like, that was our one shot to get off the field. And same thing, you mentioned that third down where they had a guy open. He had four guys open on that play. Yeah. Past the sticks. Like, this isn't like, you know, Florida brought six guys. They dropped the safety deep and LSU had four wide receivers and a running back out in the pattern. There was no way that you could guard everybody based on dropping the safety. You had four defenders and five guys on routes, and then everybody, all the defenders were past the sticks. Florida was just handing them the first down, and they tried to take it and wound up. Butte ends up dropping the ball, but I mean, he could have thrown it to any one of four receivers and got the first down on that play. And and so you know, I, I think yes, the roughing the passer penalty is is tough. I think it's probably called correctly. You're not really supposed to drive somebody in the ground like that. It's hard for a defender, right? I don't blame Dexter, but I think it's probably the right call. But even if, even with that being said, I think in some ways that's sort of the football gods repaying Florida for getting off the field on that third down when they had no business doing so. Because that should have been a first, that like I would have been excoriating Anthony Richardson if he'd have missed a throw on something like that um, to convert a third down just because it was easy. I mean, it was sitting right there. Yeah, that's a. Uh... Heartbreaker, man. Uh, I don't know what to do with this defense. And, uh, you know, anytime we talk defense, I just kind of I want to shed a tear a little bit. But <laughs> Florida, I guess, has two weeks to figure it out because coming in in two weeks is uh, a team that's pretty consistent defensively, pretty consistent offensively as well. So Florida's going to have to really figure this out because you can't afford a lot of turnovers against a team like Georgia, especially the way that they've been playing. And uh, you can't let them score on every uh, every possession because if they do the score will be like 60 or 70 to uh 14. So <laughs> uh Vegas being a little bit less generous to them only giving them 17 points after seeing what the defense has done this week. But we'll see if they can figure that out. But let's let's talk about halfway through the season. We're obviously we're in the bye week here. We want to break this down here and we'll start off here with offense, the passing game. Uh, from Anthony Richardson here, uh, 1,363 total yards so far, six touchdowns passing, seven interceptions, not a good touchdown-to-interception ratio. We all know that. We've seen the film. Uh, he averages about 8.1 yard per passing attempt with a total of 73 first downs. Uh, as we know, he's not the uh, Heisman candidate or first-rounder everybody predicted at the beginning of the season passing-wise, but he's definitely done more of his damage here on the ground, uh, Will. What's your current assessment of Richardson, and where do you think he needs to improve going forward? Obviously, it's passing, but you know, in detail, where do you think he needs to improve? Yeah, I mean, so I think my assessment of Richardson is that he's been significantly above average, but that he's had enormous variance in his play. Right. So typically, you get you get quarterbacks, and you go, okay, they'll play well. So like Will Levis is a great example where he plays really well at home. And some of that is because of cupcakes, but some of that is he just plays better at home yeah. when he's not getting pressured and because Kentucky's offensive line specifically this year has been pretty bad. And then he's he's road Will Levis where he's QB ratings like 120 and he really struggles. And one of the reasons Florida was able to stop Kentucky is because they got road Will Levis and were able to were able to to stop them in some capacity. And 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 so Richardson doesn't have that in him. He doesn't care where they're playing, and and in fact, he's probably been worse at the swamp than he has been on the road this year so far. Uh, but what I will say is that 
you know, that Tennessee defense, while not spectacular, is still a decent unit. Um, the Utah defense seems to be a pretty decent unit. You look at uh, even the LSU defense isn't terrible, and he was able to light them up. I don't think he's played a lockdown defense yet, but he, his variance is not opponent-dependent, which is interesting to me, and I think bodes well for his season's for how he improves throughout the season and how he's going to improve long-term because what it says, and this is the play. I think I mentioned this on Gators breakdown the other day, but the overall Florida had 59 plays and they averaged 6.7 yards per play, which is a really good offensive performance. Yeah. But if you take away the explosive plays of which four of the five are from Richardson, the 81 yard run, obviously, but then a couple of passes to Pearsall and then the big bomb to shorter. If you take away those explosive plays, they only average 3.2 yards per play. That's the Anthony Richardson experience. And that's yeah. really the Florida offense experience offense experience where you from a success rate standpoint, they are not very consistent. In fact, against Missouri, they had a significantly lower success rate than Missouri did. And it's one of the reasons why the offense sputtered in the first half. But all of a sudden you start hitting a couple of explosive plays and Florida's going to put up points. And so that's the thing is that they're just very feast or famine. Anthony Richardson is sort of the ringleader of them being feast or famine. And what that means is if you go in extended time in famine mode, well, all of a sudden you look up and you've only got 20 or 21 points. And with this defense, that's a problem. But what it says to me is that Richardson has got the explosion part down. And what he needs to do is be able to make the simple play. Like the thing I think about is when he when he rolled out and completely missed the receive the tight end in the end zone the other night. They still converted that into a touchdown later in the drive, but he has the guy wide open for a touchdown and throws it behind him and at his feet. Um, the throw to Lingard, where Lingard had to put his head down and basically treat the defensive back like a blocking sled and drove him back three or four yards. If that ball's thrown in front of Lingard, he can probably get the corner and it turns into, say, a 16, 17, 18-yard gain as opposed to having to fight for the five or six yards that he's getting. So those little things, the the accuracy, the going, the taking the check down when it's there instead of trying to force the ball downfield, he's getting better at that. As you see that more and more and more, he's starting to check down. His accuracy on the little throws is not very good. His accuracy downfield has actually greatly improved since that Kentucky game. So those that that'd be the thing where I think you say, where do you want to focus? Is the little things being able to to hit your check downs, um, you know, except that sometimes on third down you're going to lose. Don't throw the interception. Um, those are sort of the things that obviously six touchdowns, seven interceptions. That needs to be more like ten to one, um, especially if Florida's going to have any chance against Georgia and A M coming up in the next couple of weeks. And so. Uh, you know, that's the thing. So I, I actually think the LSU game is positive. There was a there was a third down and seven where he checked down to ETN. ETN didn't get the first down, but he gave ETN a shot one-on-one to beat a defender. ETN didn't do it. They punted. LSU dropped the punt, so they got the ball right back. But that's progress because he could have thrown into the teeth of his own defense that was dropping. And we saw that against USF. We saw that against Kentucky. He didn't do that here. He, he checked it down, let ETN work, and that's going to pay off long-term. And now the next thing is, is hey, when you got a guy wide open in the end zone, you can't, you can't yip it. Right? You got to actually yeah. hit the guy right in the hands. And uh, he's going to develop that. He's a good player, and I have zero doubt that that he's going to get to where we look at it and say, all right, is he a Heisman level player? I don't know, but you know, my my metric yards above replacement, he's above one, so he's basically playing at a level of like a Jake Fromm back in 2017, 2018, which is good but not national championship good. And when you have Georgia's defense, you can get away with Jake Fromm at quarterback yeah. and be a team that goes 11 and one, 12 and one, something like that. When you have Florida's defense, you can't get away with Anthony Richardson having games like he does against Kentucky and USF. 
Right, and this uh, this defense this year is probably worse than the 2020 defense, and Kyle Trask couldn't even <laughs> be uh, undefeated against that defense. I mean, they go 8-4 and four with Kyle Trask setting that single-season passing record at Florida. So if that goes into any detail of how bad this defense is and how good that you really have to be at a quarterback rate, uh, as far as Richardson, I mean, it, the defense is going to have to help this kid out. I mean, he can't do everything. And you're actually pretty right, too, about the uh, getting better on like the uh, smarter plays, maybe some of the shorter passes. Uh, when he passes it deep, he's actually got most of his yards, 549 yards, and he averages 17.7 yards per attempt. Obviously, you're throwing it deep. You're going to average more yards per attempt. Uh, you go medium passes from 10 to 9. He's got a 65.2% completion rating, 490 yards, 10.7 yards per attempt. And those short plays... He's only at 230 yards, which, of course, I mean, unless you have yards after catch, you're, you're not going to get, you know, anywhere near what you're going to get in the deep passes. But, you know, you kind of see it, though. Like, you do kind of see it where he he's passing the ball a lot. I mean, you saw it right at the beginning of the LSU game. You know, Justin Shorter, wide open touchdown. Well, he, he beats his he beats his guy and he gets a touchdown. He wasn't really wide open, just beat the guy. But you see it. You see the explosiveness, as you said, from Anthony Richardson. But you got to work on just more of the simpler things, and that's what really makes a good quarterback. Uh, I mean, if, if Richardson was good throwing it ball deep, maybe he could be like uh, Will Levis and be good on the short throws and just rely on the yards after the catch. So... <laughs> uh, I, I I just look at it and say the things that you look at, like the slant on the fourth down, like he rifled that ball in there and he threw mm-hmm. it too soon. He did the same thing to I think it was Jacobian Frazier's against Kentucky when they went for it on a fourth down and that slant. Um, so they've tried that a couple of times on fourth down. Um, the receiver hasn't really done a great job of getting open, but Richardson hasn't thrown it where the guys had an opportunity to catch it. The the play I mentioned earlier where he misses the guy in the rollout ball placement when he throws it out there on the rollout to the tight end there's a play where he hit uh i think it was uh uh, tight end um zanders he hit zanders a couple weeks ago against tennessee where again he threw it behind him and zanders had to fight for a first down rather than having an easy first down those sorts of things are going to come right i mean i think that his decision making has been pretty good he's not airmailing the balls over the middle anymore so he's made an adjustment when it comes to throwing the ball over the middle he's putting way more air under it when he does throw deep the throw to shorter was beautiful but it was also something where he put air under it and allowed shorter to run underneath it um so you know i look at it and i go if what would you rather have would you rather have a quarterback who can do all the hard stuff well and then have to teach him the easy stuff or would you rather have a guy who can do the easy stuff and you try to like force him to do the hard stuff? And we sort of saw that last year, right? Where, you know, after the Kentucky game, everybody was asking Dan Mullen, why didn't Emory Jones throw deep? And, you know, he's like, well, it must not have been open. You guys don't know as well as me, that sort of stuff. But, you know, the reality is, is that Emory Jones needed to go deep and wasn't willing to pull the trigger in that game against Kentucky. Anthony Richardson has no problem pulling the trigger. In fact, I think the touchdown to interception ratio suggests that maybe he needs to ease back on the trigger a little bit from time to time. But again, I'd rather have a guy who can make the explosive play and try to rein him in to, to take the check down and rein him in to do the solid play than I would a guy who uh, who I have to either force to take that shot downfield or doesn't have the arm strength to do it. So, um, you know, look, out of all the things for, that Florida's got going on, Richardson is actually a relatively um, – you know, I, I'm I'm impressed by how he's played the first seven games. I'm concerned about the variability in the play, but I'm really interested to see these last five or six games. Does that start to even out a little bit more? Yeah, baby steps, Will. Baby steps. <laughs> well, speaking of explosiveness, we can move on to rushing. I mean, this team has rushed for a combined total of 1,506 yards, averaged 7.3 yards per rush as a team. 
has 37 runs of 10-plus yards or more leading that charge, Montrell Johnson. 430 total yards if you don't count negative yardage, uh, averaging 7.4 yards per rush with 12 runs of 10-plus yards or more. Richardson will come in second here with 390 total yards, 6.7 yards per rush on 36 attempts with 8 runs of 10-plus yards or more. And ETN, uh, he has right underneath Richardson there around, I think it's like 360 or so. I didn't look up that statistic, but he's averaging around like five, six yards per rush as well. So Florida uh, currently ranked 25th in the nation rushing yards per game at averaging 201.8 rushing yards. Uh, They also averaged 3.63 yards after contact as a team. If there was a bright spot, like I said on this team, Will, it would be the run game, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I I think it's interesting. It took him six games to to drop Naquan Wright on the yeah. depth chart, and he was he was the guy that you looked at and said one of these things is not like the other in terms of the the average per rush and being inefficient. Um, Etn six point two yards per rush. Montreal Johnson seven point two. I have the negative plays in there, and then Lingard has eight for sixty one, so seven point six for him as well. The rushing has been excellent for these guys, and I think they do things a little bit differently. So Etn is somebody who can really get through the hole and make somebody miss. Um, you know, it, it turns out Montreal Johnson has been more of a hey, I know when to put my foot in the ground and I can find that crease and take it to the house. And Lingard, we'll see. I mean, just because we haven't had enough time to see that yet. The place I've been disappointed with the running backs is just they haven't caught the ball very much. Um, You think about a guy like Xavier Henderson has 27 catches. They've done a lot of things to get him the ball in space on the edge. They haven't done a whole lot with that. And I think that actually is the place where they've wasted Daquan Wright. I mean, Wright has one catch for 14 yards, but last year I think he had like 20 or 25 catches. And, you know, that's a place where I think they could probably use a guy like Naquan Wright, um, get him out there. So he had 14 catches last year, 19 the year before so you can you you know that's the place where i think the running backs can improve montreal johnson has six catches etn has four Wright has one lingard has two um getting the ball to those running backs out in space um you know screen passes those sorts of things are things we just haven't seen so far and is a place where i think uh you know if if florida's going to improve in the passing game they're gonna have to get some easy yards and it might be that those guys those guys give an opportunity to do so naquan Wright need to be a little bit more in the slot there (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I think you look at the receivers, and I don't have a real problem with the way the receivers have played. Um, they're only playing three. Yeah. <laughs> in ter- in ter- like, nobody else is really out there all that much. Um, you know, sure, if you want to put him out there in the slot, maybe you do that. But I, I think it's more along the lines of Richardson is starting to hit his checkdowns. Yep. And a guy like Wright has the wiggle to make somebody miss out in space. What he doesn't have is when there's a couple of guys with their hands on him in a hole and he's trying to power through the hole, they're able to grab onto him and pull him down. And you're not arm tackling Montrell Johnson and you're not arm tackling ETN. You can arm tackle Wright. So, you know, Wright, if you think about it last year, the times that he was really good were when they got him the ball outside or when he sort of broke through the first layer of the defense and got to dance a little bit. And they just haven't been able to get him out into space where he's able to dance. And until they do that, he's he's going to struggle because he's just not a between-the-tackles runner, at least not the way Johnson and Etienne are. Um, but sure, I mean, if you put him out in the slot, that's fine. But again, this sort of goes back to the place where Richardson has to improve. You know, Maybe you'd throw slants to right, but you can't throw slants to right because those slants are coming at 300 miles an hour. And, uh, <laughs> and, and also, Napier's offense is not designed to get the ball to the running backs in space. The running back, so everything sort of, works off of we're going to fake the the um you know we're, we're going to pretend like we're running the ball no matter what right it's the san francisco offense um 
Rams offense where they're trying to get the defense to move one way. You fake to the running back and you come out and then you start throwing the ball from there. Um, and sometimes you hand the ball off and you hit them on those zone on the uh, zone running plays. But um, that requires the running back to be involved in the fake. And so they're not always out there in a route. But again, that thing goes back to your personnel, right? The guys who are going to be able to execute that scheme in a way that's more effective are the guys like Johnson and ETN and potentially Lingard. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore. And also, Naquan, right? You know, he had a pretty gruesome injury, I guess you would say, uh, against Florida State. Uh, it happened to Malik Davis uh, in the Georgia game, I think 2017 Georgia game. Uh, some running backs need time. Some running backs aren't the same when they come back. I mean, as Malik Davis wasn't the same. We wasn't the 2017 Malik Davis we saw. But then, you know, you give him a year, give him a couple more years. Then he started, you, know, you started to see more production from Malik Davis. And I think maybe Naquan, and I'm not saying he needs time or anything like that, but maybe Naquan. One, maybe that might be another reason why that we maybe haven't seen as much explosiveness from him as uh, as the years went on. So yeah, certainly that's always. I mean, those those injuries to lower legs and stuff for for running backs always take a little while to come back from. I think there's some statistical reasons to think this is who Naquan Wright is, but yeah, uh, you know, um, you know, obviously that was a that was a bad injury and it was late last year. So sure, I'm sure there's there's some uh, potential there that he's going to be more explosive as the year goes on. Absolutely. And since we're on receiving, uh, we'll go to their next leading the charge this year, Justin Shorter. Actually, I'm kind of surprised with Justin Shorter's play. I know the ball hasn't gotten to him pretty well. I'm pretty sure if the ball was thrown more accurately, Justin Shorter would have more receiving yards. He has 405 right now, uh, followed by Ricky Purcell with 303. As a team, Florida's totaled 1,515 yards through the air, averaged 14.9 yards per reception for seven touchdowns and 584 yards after the catch. Uh, what do you think about this receiving game, man? Where do you think they could also improve going forward? I mean, so I think everybody got upset about the Xavier Henderson screen passes until this <laughs> past week where they worked pretty well against LSU there in the, right. in, in the last couple of drives. I think Henderson has shown – there were a couple of plays against Utah where you know Florida needed to keep drives alive and he was able to make a guy miss and get five or six yards on a, on a throw out on the flat. That's his role, right? His role is to sort of be an extension of the running game out there, um, and that's probably what we're going to see from him. So you know, we're going to see those. Sometimes can be frustrating, uh, but that is what it is. I think – Pearsall has been very, very good over the middle. You know, he's 16 for 303, so averaging 19 yards of reception. That's that's outstanding for a guy in the slot. Oh, yeah. Um, the big the big run for Pearsall as well. Granted, that's against Eastern Washington, but when you pop a 76-yard run, has some explosiveness. And then Shorter, I think, obviously, is is the guy who stepped in is sort of that Jacob Copeland role, right? Copeland was the guy on the outside who was going deep, and Anthony Richardson was able to hit him quite a bit last year. They had pretty good chemistry. Um, and it looks like that's starting to build up with Shorter quite a bit on those deep throws. I mean, if you think back to the Kentucky game, there was a there was a fade that he threw to Shorter right after he hit Pierce all over the middle real early in the game when things still hadn't fallen apart, and it was a kill shot because he had some people open um, he had some people open underneath, but yeah. Richardson decided to go for the fade, and the reason he decided to go for it is because he had one on one coverage and he was feeling feeling his oats, but he also trusts Shorter now. They didn't hit the pass, and it turned into it turned into an important thing that it, that they didn't methodically go down the field in that Kentucky game. But still, I mean, the fact that he's building that sort of camaraderie with shorter is uh, is important. the 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 thing that I look at from an from a improvement standpoint is Trent Whittemore has four catches, Dejon Reynolds has three, Douglas, Khalil Jackson, Bowman, Burke, and Pouncey all have one so yeah. or Reynolds has three so there's there's just not not a second line of receivers and it's funny 
you know, 2018 or 2019, we're sitting there going, you got Tony and Pitts and, and all these guys, why are you running out these other guys? You know, why do we, it would be the first drive, those guys to be out there. And the second drive, they'd all sit. We'd have guys like Whittemore out there and, and some of the other guys out, you know, there would be a new four wide receivers who were out there. And Florida can't do that right now. Florida doesn't have the ability to put out a four, put out four different wide receivers. They've got three guys. Those are the three guys who are out there all the time. If any of those guys gets injured, one of them pulls a hamstring, oh, one of them man. twists an ankle, something like that, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that the, one of these guys is going to be able to step in. They haven't they haven't really been out there very much. And so um, that, to me, is the place where they can improve in the second half of the year is getting some of these guys some action. Even if they're not Richardson's favorite target, they need to be out there. And, you know, look, I mean, I don't know who the right person is for this, but maybe it's Marcus Burke, but give him – the Xavier Henderson little pop pass behind the line of scrimmage just to make sure he's staying involved and getting an opportunity to run around a little bit. Um, I'm going to do the same thing with a guy like, with a guy like Caleb Douglas, you know, and, and slowly build those guys into the game plan. Cause you're going to need them at some point in the year. And you can't just depend on these three guys and not have anybody behind them. Who's got experience. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd like to see Keon Zipper get more involved, too. Um, he was uh, actually he's caught 76.5% of his receptions for 177 and averaged 13.6 yards per reception. Um, he's played pretty well. He played really well in Tennessee game, uh, <laughs> breaking tackles and knocking Tennessee players over <laughs> with yards after the catch. But uh, I would love to see Keon Zipper, some of these tight ends get more involved. I haven't seen a lot of that this year at all. No, I mean, there's been a lot of keeping them in the block, right? That they're, yeah. they're just, they have not had those guys out in, in the routes that much. And, you know, you, you end up having them come across the formation and some of those flood concepts. And, you know, Richardson gets to take his pick because he's looking sort of high, mid, low, deciding who to throw to. And if Pearsall and Shorter are open, then you take your shot to those guys. So, um, yeah, I, I think Zipper has been good when he's been out there and, and, and has been targeted. Um, he he can be an explosive player once he gets the ball in his hands. He's not real explosive right now, at least when it comes to route running. And so when when you look at a place for him to improve, I think being able to create separation and giving Richardson reason to go to him, right? I mean, that's one of the things is Richardson trusts that Justin Shorter is going to get open. He trusts that Ricky Pearsall is going to get open. Does he trust that Keon Zipper is going to get open? And, and until he does, then he's not going to be looking for him. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Uh, let's move on. Offensive line. Um, the other strength as far as pass blocking goes, and these are stats from PFF, so they may differ on other different sites. Uh, not many sacks given up. Uh, one sack other than a sack that was given up by Trevor Etienne, who isn't an offensive lineman. Uh, four quarterback contacts and 26 total quarterback hurries just by the offensive line alone. And as I said, these don't count sacks, hurries, or contacts given up by like a tight end or running back or any of those other kind of blockers. I know some other sites count sacks differently as well. So as an offensive line, especially in pass protection, done pretty well. Also rushing-wise, opening up lanes. They haven't been perfect. There's been times where you couldn't run the ball, especially against Tennessee. I think Tennessee was averaging only giving up like 89.4 yards per game before we even played them. So uh, pretty good up front there for Tennessee. LSU, they kind of had a little bit of trouble there uh, with the exception of that big Anthony Richardson run. I don't really think they were close to rushing over 100 or at 100. Uh, But what's your review so far of the offensive line through seven games? I mean, I think they've been okay. I don't think they've been fantastic. Um, you look at um, things like standard down line yards is something football outsiders has. They're mm-hmm. 15th in the country. So that's that's basically like, you know, did the play get the number of yards it should have gotten from a design perspective? Um, you know, and so they're getting 2.99 yards on a standard on a standard running play, which is 15th. Now that's bolstered by a lot of, you know, 
71 yard runs and those sorts of things. And I think that's, you know, you look at like power success rate, they're pretty good um, stuff rate. They're okay. But then you get to pass down line yards. They're not all that great. So th- there's some things here where, again, I think the variation in the offensive line is very similar to the variation you see for Anthony Richardson. Richardson covers a lot of sins in terms of sacks. And so it's a little bit hard to decipher that. In fact, um, I think it was Dave Wonderlick over at Gator Country had something uh, a while back where he was looking at, um, or at least he linked to research that sacks is really a quarterback stat in college football. Yeah. And so just looking at stat numbers for an offensive line makes a difference. If like It makes sense if Kyle Trask is your quarterback. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense if Anthony Richardson is able to run you away from some of those things. Like A lot of times where they leave that defensive end uncovered and Anthony Richardson runs the play action, he has to outrun the guy to the corner and he's <laughs> able to do so um, in a way that a normal quarterback wouldn't be able to and sort of sort of eliminates them from that but the funny part is is most of the sacks they've given up are Richardson not throwing the ball away and running out of bounds like two yards behind the line of scrimmage <laughs> when it when he rolls out so um yeah look I don't I don't have any major complaints about the offensive line I think the fact that Tarquin went down early was was problematic but I think Barber's come in and played pretty well you know, obviously Osiris Torrance is out in this in the game against LSU or at least ineffective in the game against LSU and uh you know, other than the the unsportsmanlike penalty where he dove in 20 seconds after the whistle, um, you know, Richie Leonard played pretty well, and you know they scored 35 points. Richardson didn't have a whole lot of whole lot of dirt on his jersey, at least from LSU's defense. And uh, you know, I look at that and say Richardson's healthy. He's not getting he's not getting drilled over and over and over again. They're picking up blitzes and stunts and things like that. We're not looking at the right tackle, saying, "Wow, they completely screwed that up." And you know, yeah. like we have the past couple of years. So um, I, I think the the offensive line's been pretty solid. I wouldn't say, "Oh yeah, this is the best offensive line in the country," but I would say, in terms of again, sort of what I said about Richardson, is they are solidly above average and. You know, most of the time that's good enough for 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 an offensive line. It helps to have a dual threat quarterback to pad those stats, man. <laughs> oh yes, it does. <laughs> All right, man. We're gonna head on to the uh, the dreaded part of this uh, the, this podcast here. Total defense. <laughs> this is gonna be awful. Seventy four total missed tackles. Fifty one missed tackles in run defense. Twenty three in coverage. Seventeen hundred yards allowed in coverage. Led by trading, giving up two hundred thirty four yards. I posted these on Twitter. 771 yards allowed after the catch, led by trading again, giving up 115 yards after catch. And no, I'm not trying to pick on you. That's just, You're just the leader. 12.3 yards per reception given up, five interceptions, only nine pass breakups, Will, through seven games. <laughs> 1.3 pass breakups per game. <laughs> 68.3% of targets given up, 13 sacks, eighth in the SEC, by the way, which ranks eighth in the SEC, 69 quarterback hurries with 19 quarterback contacts. With all that being said, and the statistics I ran, of which I'll, I'll read at the end of the podcast here as well, I took some basic ones off teamrankings.net, uh, there are a total of 11 defensive statistics that I ran, and they all ranked in the hundreds from teamrankings.com or worse. Everybody knows that third down conversion percentage has been floating around there on Twitter that ranks 131st out of 131 teams. So I'm pretty sure you've seen that on the internet. But besides the defensive line and the sacks, is this not the worst defense you've seen in Florida Gator history? 
Um, I mean, that 2020 defense is pretty bad, and we haven't gotten to the difficult games yet, right? I mean, you think about early in the season, you would have said that Georgia and A&M were games where you're like, all right, we'll pencil an L in for those. I think A&M certainly come back to the pack, so maybe we don't we don't have that same attitude about them, but the Georgia game is still going to be rough, and yep. the statistics are going to look worse after that one. So we'll see how they play, right? I mean, the, the 2020 defense played actually – okay against georgia and kyle trash sort of won that game and then fell apart against lsu fell apart against uh um, fell apart against alabama and certainly fell apart early in the year against texas a&m um so we'll see we'll see what happens i think the sacks are interesting because you look at sack rate it's not that great so on a percentage basis in terms of how um you know it's 3.7 percent on standard down sack rate so 90th in the country you talk about the standard down line yards, as I said earlier, 92nd in the country on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you talk about EPA-type statistics. They're terrible. They're terrible on third down. The big thing for me on the defense is that they're, they're equal opportunity, so they're just as bad against the pass as they are against the run, which is one of the problems, actually. It means it's very difficult to fix because you don't really know you know, which one are you supposed to fix? And I think that's one of the things you're going to have to do over the bye week is figure out, all right, which one are we going to focus on and say, we're going to give up one thing in order to make sure we don't give up something else on this side. Because if you just sort of sit there, if you try to, if you try to teeter right on the edge of, well, you know, half the time we'll take away, you know, Stetson Bennett's ability to throw to the tight ends over the middle. And half the time we're going to take away George's ability to run the ball. You're going to get drilled at some point because they're going to call a pass when you're expecting a run or vice versa. And, and it's going to be a big play. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been rough. It's been rough. <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, I was kind of looking at the, uh, the Georgia game from last year. Uh, Florida actually held Brock Bowers to 38 yards. I don't know how they did that, but they did. And, uh, well, I guess it's because Anthony Richardson was turning over the football before halftime, but uh, you don't really need to throw to anybody when you're in the lead, like 24 points or anything like that. But uh, Florida had two interceptions that game, I think, too, didn't they, Like against Georgia last year? Yeah, I mean, Stetson Bennett is a guy who's got some limitations, right? And, oh, yeah. and it, you know, some of those limitations were covered up by the otherworldly defense. Some of it is he's actually a very good player. He's sort of the anti-Anthony Richardson, right? He's pretty yeah. consistent, and he does the right thing a lot of the time. But when he tries to push it downfield, that's when they get in trouble. And so, um, you know, look, I, I can't say anything all that bad about Georgia. They're averaging 7.3 yards per play, second in the country yeah. against FBS opponents. The only offense better than them is Ohio State. That bodes poorly for Florida because Florida, their opponents are averaging 5.7 yards per play um, overall for the season. They've given up 6.2 against those opponents. So they've made their opponents better than they actually are in terms of <laughs> overall, uh, in terms of the overall play, which means if you look at a team like Georgia, you know, you maybe expect 7.8, eight yards of play, and that's going to mean 45 points. So, um, you know, unless they get turnovers, unless they're maybe able to to reverse those trends, it's it's looking pretty ugly when it comes to that game specifically. Um, and and again, like I said, it's it's not one guy. Um, you can point at a few plays and say this guy screwed this up and that sort of stuff. But um, when you're when you're down in the rankings with Vanderbilt and this year with Arkansas, like they're twelfth in the SEC in almost every category, but they're below a hundred in the country. So it's just because there's three absolutely putrid defenses in the SEC this year, and Florida happens to be one of them. Oh, don't break my heart, Will. 
don't break my heart, man. That is, uh, <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, let's hope we get the uh, Georgia versus Missouri, Georgia, when we play them in two weeks, and not the Georgia versus uh, Vanderbilt, <laughs> Georgia. Well, I mean, so Vanderbilt's interesting because their their passing defense is just awful. So their passing defense is twice as bad as Florida's, but their rushing defense is twice as good as Florida's. And so they at least know who they are and know how they're going to die, right? <laughs> like they, they, they've decided we're going to take away the run and we don't have the horses to take away stuff on the back end. Florida is sort of trying to trying to split the baby and splitting the baby is not working out real well. Um, you look at Arkansas, they're, they're bad in both areas as well, which again, I think is one of the reasons why um, they're at where they're at. But it, it's amazing. You just sort of look at defense overall from an EPA perspective and there is a huge jump. For, so Vanderbilt and Arkansas are much, much worse than Florida, which is hard to believe, right? Yeah. And, and then Florida and Tennessee are close, but Tennessee's Tennessee's better. Auburn is right in there with Tennessee. Then, then you have another jump, and then it's LSU and Missouri. Then another jump, and it's South Carolina and A&M. Then another jump. Actually, South Carolina, A&M, and Mississippi are all sort of in the same place. Then it's another jump to Ole Miss and Kentucky, and then another jump to Alabama and Georgia. So from the standpoint of like defenses in the SEC, that's where you are. So Florida's in the bottom tier of defenses in the SEC, and um, Georgia's up there at the top. And then you start looking at the offense, and, and Georgia's right up there at the top too, which is uh, one of the reasons why they're up there in the, in the rankings. So um, it, it's going to be rough, buddy. It's going to be rough. Come on, man! I live in Georgia. You gotta, you gotta give me some kind of hope, man. And well, we got we, we we rush more yards than they do. Is that is that good? <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know. Have you watched the film? <laughs> I, I say we nickel and dime first downs, keep their uh, their uh, offense off the field if we can, because their defense is pretty good. And uh, maybe uh, you know maybe we can uh, squeeze out one. <laughs> well, I, th- I think they feast on turnovers, right? And so that's the first thing is you're going to have to prevent t- turnovers, and then from there you're going to have to have long, sustained drives. It's going to be the same thing as the Tennessee game. It's going to be fourth downs. Yep. Billy Napier is going to be aggressive, even in his own territory. Um, if those deliver, if Anthony Richardson's able to get those to work and if Florida can hit those at a high rate, then the game's close. If if all of a sudden they're not converting a fourth and three from their own 25, well, it gets out of hand pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, if you can get ahead, and this is the thing, if you get a turnover and you get ahead by, say, 14, Right. Well, now does Stetson Bennett have to throw? And this is where I think picking your poison becomes important. What I would do if I were them is I would play a cover two man under, and I would say you're going to play bump and run, and you're going to get beat a bunch underneath. We're okay with that. We got two safeties to come up and hopefully make the tackle if 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 we you know get beat in one on one coverage, but we're going to do that. And yeah, the linebackers are going to get beat down the seams from time to time with the tight ends. That's okay. We'll deal with that. We want them to run. Let's bait them into running the ball. Let's force them to decide, hey, we're going to run the ball. Maybe even bring out a dime. So only have one one linebacker be small and say, yeah, run the ball. Like, And if you run the ball down the field on us and you score a touchdown, hey, that's great, but you just spent five minutes going down the field rather than 55 seconds, and now we get the ball back on our side and we're going to go for it on every fourth down and, and try to keep it close. So I think there's a path for Florida to keep the game close. There's probably a path for Florida to win if Anthony Richardson doesn't turn over the ball and plays fantastic. Um, but this is one of those where Richardson's going to have to have like one of those where we would have said, um, you know, just being good is not going to be good enough. He's going to have to be Heisman Anthony Richardson in order to get this one done. Let's see it. Let's see it. Uh, so you're saying if we do score, we just did kick an onside kick and say, you know, take the chance? 
I mean, I, it's not a bad strategy to be honest with you. I mean, if if you can't stop them and you don't have confidence in thought, like, what's the difference between kicking an onside kick and going for it on fourth down from your own thirty-five? Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, it, the result is the same when you when you don't get it. Um, and so, I, I think there's an opportunity again. You know, you think about the Super Bowls where the Saints, I think, kicked an onside kick against Peyton Manning and ended up winning that game by keeping Manning off the field. Like they realized that getting an extra possession was important when they were playing the Colts. And I think that's what Florida's Florida's gonna have to figure out a way to get probably three or four extra possessions, right? Which means they're gonna have to get an interception. They're gonna have to um maybe stop George on a fourth and one. They're gonna have to, you know, maybe get an onside kick. They're gonna have to have something weird happen where you know they get a special team score or something like that like there's going to have to be those things that sort of shift the game in their favor for them to win not saying it can't happen i'm just saying to stack three or four of those together becomes a tall order against a team like georgia but yeah that's why they play the game scared money don't make money will (laughs) well i I hope they don't go for any field goals because our field goal kicking is pretty bad five for nine fifty five point six percent um Field goal kicking's been pretty lackluster. I said it looked good at the beginning of the year, but uh, towards uh, I guess what was it the Missouri game? Man, it's I, I hope we don't have to kick any field goals in that game at all. Yeah, I mean Mahalik's been okay. He his distance obviously is is the limitation, right? Every time they get, I think he's zero of three or zero of four once they get past forty yards, which means you know if you need something from thirty five yards in, you're good. And if you um, need to go beyond that, that's probably stretching his distance, and you need to know that as a coach, right? So, just like you play, if you if your defense can't stop the opposition, just like you make adjustments based on that. I think you got to make adjustments based on what your kicker can and can't do. And the fact that they've got Mihalik out there and they're running him out there means that either Trace Mack isn't ready or that Mihalik is, is doing a better job than he is, um, you know, overall. And that that's just the reality. So yeah, from a pure numbers perspective, they're not great. Um, they haven't missed an extra point, which is nice. Um, and, and look, I mean, five of nine for a college kicker, it's not awful. The two misses against Missouri um, were were obviously a big deal, and you know you would have liked to have gotten the one against Tennessee back. But there hasn't been a game where I've said, "Oh, the kicker cost him the game." And, right. Yeah. You know, usually, usually when you're going to sit there and denigrate the kicking game, it's something that costs you the game. From a punting perspective, I feel like they've been pretty effective there. Um, punt returns and kick returns are starting to come around a little bit, um, and so you know, like I, I think. Um, Florida is starting to get a little bit of an edge on special teams, whereas early in the year, you know, Utah, they had all these holding penalties and stuff on the kickoffs and were starting at their own 12. And uh, that hasn't happened very much recently. And that, and that's a big deal just because starting at your own 27 is an advantage if you can return the kick and not have holding penalties and blocks in the back. But if you're going to have a holding penalty or block in the back, like getting to the 27 or even the 35 really isn't worth it. Just take the fair catch and start at the 25. So the fact that they've sort of eliminated those penalties on kickoffs and they're starting to pop a couple. And, you know, again, we talk about what they're going to need in the, in the games coming forward. That may be what they need, right? Is not just popping it to where you're at at midfield, but actually popping one that goes all the way. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see something different there. Kick returns, or uh, I know they stuck ETN back there a couple times, and now they've got Lingard on the field running, doing running back plays. Maybe they'll put him back there. You never know, man. I mean, they've got two weeks to figure everything out. Um, and they got to play one of their hardest teams on the schedule and uh, one of the top teams in the nation. So they've got a lot to figure out in two weeks, Will. 
Yeah, well, I, and again, I think expectations are interesting, right? I think we all came in, and the the frustration that people feel is usually when when expectations are not meeting reality. And yep. the expectation was Patrick Tony was going to make this defense and Ty, better than Ty Grantham had it, and that expectation has not that reality has not met the expectation, so people are frustrated. I think now expectations swing in the other direction, right? The expectation is is that Florida is really going to struggle to get off the field, that it's going to be tough against Georgia, that Georgia should just be able to go up and down the field against the Gators. And so that's my expectation. So I don't know that I'm going to be frustrated by it. I think I might sort of roll my eyes and go, well, here we go again, if that's what happens. But I'm not going to be frustrated by it. It's my expectation. It's what I expect to happen. And so if they can outperform that expectation, I don't think you need 17 punts. Like it doesn't need to be a 16 to 13 game for you to win. You just have to be able to get them off the field two or three times, yep. whether it be by whether it be via turnover or whether it be via punt. And then you can't turn the ball over on your side. And if you look at the Tennessee game, it's the exact same model, right? I mean, the, the model for the Tennessee game was we're scared of our defense. The defense isn't going to be able to stop them. But Anthony Richardson's going to be able to score some points. We're confident in that. We're going to go for it on fourth down. And the difference is, is that when it, and they got a couple of stops on defense, they had a couple of fourth down stops. Um, they had the strip sack on the fourth down of, of Hendon Hooker. Um, they couldn't get the key stops at the end, obviously, at the end of the first half and then and then later on in the game. But they were able to get a couple of stops. And it turns out that the Richardson fumble is just a backbreaker that uh, that, you know, that, that means they can't make that comeback. And that's the thing is that fumble can't happen against Georgia because otherwise it's going to, you're going to have the same thing. You're going to be down two touchdowns trying to play catch up. And this team just isn't equipped to do that. Well, at least Vegas gave them 17. So maybe they can afford a couple of those. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's, it's funny. This is a rivalry game, obviously. And it's been one sided either in one direction or the other. Even the game Mullen won was a big blowout in in that direction. But um, it's funny because if you'd have told me at the beginning of the year that B Billy Napier would go seven and five, but he'd beat Georgia, I'd go, that's a successful season. Yeah. So his goals are still in front of him, right? Usually you get to this point if you're four and three, you're like, all of our goals are gone. We can't get anything that we need to get. We're just playing this game as sort of a consolation, that sort of stuff. But in year one, if you can take down Kirby and if you can go seven and five and get to a bowl game and get all those bowl practices, um, the shine of beating Georgia will outlast any of the, the, the turd in the punch bowl that we've had over the last three or four <laughs> weeks with, with the defense. Can they get it done? Uh, I'm doubtful, but if they get it done, and again, this comes back to goals in front of you, if they get it done, then I think the momentum that Napier takes forward from something like that is, is pretty significant. So, you know, like you said, they got two weeks to figure it out. This was, you know, in 2005, Urban Meyer got his staff all together and said, we're going to fix this after Chris Leak had an awful performance against LSU um, coming into that Georgia game. I think he was like 10 of 32 or something like that for 105 yards against against LSU before before the Georgia game. And then they come in and they've inserted a fullback and they do some stuff that's against tendency. And all of a sudden, Florida's up, you know, 7 nothing, 10 nothing, 14 nothing. I can't quite remember. And Georgia comes storming back, but at the same time, just wasn't able to overcome that sort of initial deficit that they had. And, uh, you know, we'll see. It, it's, it's not going to be a panacea. They're not going to be fantastic. But the question is going to be, what can they do to slow down the Bulldogs? And I think there are some things you'll be able to find on tape against Georgia to say, hey, we need to do that. And I think there's some things on tape they're going to be able to find, be able to find out about themselves. And you know, we'll see whether the players are able to execute that. But I think there will be a game plan that's robust when it comes to Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. If I had $1,000 and I was betting, I would bet Georgia. And I hate to say that because I live here. And you know how much I don't like Georgia, Will. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
it it is uh it is a mutual feeling though i do wonder and, and like i i tweeted something last week a picture of my kid making a face saying you know this is what he this is the face he made when i told him he had to root for either alabama or tennessee and uh if those two teams are undefeated when they face off against each other um ugh <laughs> like i don't know i don't know what i'm doing then like i got no idea yeah at least one of them gets to lose right so you at least get to look at that yeah, well, I, I guess. <laughs> but that means one of the other ones is one is going to be insufferable. Do you see Tennessee trying to raise funds for their stupid goalposts? Yeah. I'm like, like, are you really that poor that when you tear down the goalposts, like you've never been there before because you haven't, because you haven't beat, beaten Alabama in like six decades, that, uh, you know, and then you chuck the – like I've never quite understood. Like why do you pull down the goalposts and chuck them in the river? And why can't you then reuse the goalposts? Like – Aren't those things like collapsible? I, I just don't get it. I feel like the, I feel like if you're that poor and you got to raise the money to put in new goalposts, like you should have found a way to recycle them. Like get them to get them to dump them in the portion of the river where you can reclaim them or something. I don't know. Maybe they'll have a crane out there trying to dig it out of the river. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 well, they're using the 150 grand for NIL deals and that they're raising for the, uh, and then they'll recycle the old uh, the old goalposts. So there's probably going to be a decommitment here soon, then, right? <laughs> well we can hope so i i i am a leva come on come be a gator <laughs> uh all right all right man will great having you on as always man uh one of the most intelligent minds here when it comes to breaking down florida and the football team uh what you got coming up for us on reading reaction man yeah, so this week we'll we'll be taking a look at the defense and sort of some recommendations on what to do there um and then also um i i'm interested so People have thrown out the Nick Saban seven and six season with Louisiana Monroe. They've thrown out the Georgia season um, in 2016, where Kirby goes eight and five, loses against Van- loses to Vanderbilt. Um, Urban Meyer even in 2005 obviously had some struggles. So I'm going to be taking a look at that and saying what is a key statistic that we should be looking at for Billy Napier um, in terms of is he is he Kirby is he Saban. Is he McElwain or is he Mullen? I think there's one stat I, I think I've found that that uh, sort of points to that. So um, that, that'll that be one of the articles that's coming up this week. Absolutely, man. If you haven't checked him out, Will Miles, Nick Knudsen, stand up and holler there on YouTube and uh, ringreaction.com, man. Check him out, Will Miles. Will, thank you for joining me. Once again, I'm getting swamped, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Man, was it a hard day on the turf Saturday, but you don't have to have a hard day when it comes to your turf Thanks to the guys over at Manscaped.com and the Performance Package 4.0. The Performance Package 4.0 has done wonders for my turf, and it's made it easier. I have less nicks. I got really, really smooth down there, and I had a nice smooth trim as well. It's been a game changer for sure, and I know October is coming up, so make sure you carve your pumpkins this Halloween with some help from your boy David Soderquist when you order your Performance Package 4.0 or any other product from Manscaped.com when you use the promo code SWAMP20 to save 20% off your order, plus get free shipping. So if you're like me, and you like less hassle with your bush, order your Performance Package 4.0 with the Weed Whacker today at Manscaped.com with promo code SWAMP20, and you'll be glad that your pumpkins will look great this Halloween season. Manscaped.com, the ultimate best in men's grooming. You're listening to Getting Swamped with David Soderquist.
All right, you folks know what segment it is. Fan comments, questions. Usually don't get any questions. I just get comments because I asked you the question and you give me the comments. So I read it and I took to Twitter and I said, so far the defense is lacked this year. It is the player's fault or is it Tony's fault? Let me know your opinion. We'll read the comments on the next podcast. And I got a resounding <laughs> amount of comments here and I uh, can't read them all obviously that's that's a lot of comments we'd have like a three-hour podcast if I did uh, but I will I'll read some of them and if I don't and if you actually really got a question you want my opinion on it and I don't read it on this podcast you can send me a DM man I got them open on my personal account I got them open on the uh, podcast account too so if you want to go ahead and ask me a question uh, I'll, I'll answer it for you as best as I can uh, but we'll start here with Carlos Danger. Mullins fault 100%, but wish they would play younger guys if older guys stink and we're losing. Develop for next year. Yeah, obviously, we all know Dan Mullen wasn't the best recruiter, and his top 10 classes never amounted to be top 10 classes because of all the the attrition from, you know, the JUCO, kids having to go JUCO, not qualifying. So we all know about that. So anytime you look up the history of our recruiting classes when Dan Mullen was here, look at how many people that he recruited and you know which players aren't on the team and who didn't make it. You take them and you minus them off that recruiting class and you do the math and it's pretty bad. Not one team did Dan Mullen recruit that was probably in the top 10 after it was all said and done. So I do agree with it being Mullen's fault, but yeah, man, you got to play younger guys at this point. I mean, you're veteran guys. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to call out players. Trey Dean's one of them. Rashad Torrance is one of them. They're, I mean, I could call out probably five or six. I hate to point the finger, but it's obvious. I mean, you you, you watch the games. You see who's not performing. Um, put somebody else in. I mean, it's just not working. I mean, seven weeks in, it's not working. We've given them a thousand chances. Put somebody else in there. Now, I, I, I will say this, and, and this, this is even pretty bad. I, I When I ran the Florida midseason numbers, this was this was just god-awful. And I'll just read the uh, defensive statistics that Florida's ranked in the hundreds in. I won't go into all of them because I had a lot of them, and I did post them on Twitter. So if you follow me on Twitter, at Getting Swamp, that's my personal account. Uh, I post a lot of stats out there uh, because, obviously, I can't read them all on the podcast. As I said, the podcast would be really long, but I do post them out there for Twitter so everybody can look at them. So I got all these from TeamRankings.com, a really good site, TeamRankings.netter.com. It takes you to the the, the actual site. It uh, has a lot of statistics and per-game analysis. Um, Florida ranks in the hundreds in yards per game given up, yards per play given up, first downs given up per game, third down conversions given up per game, Rushing yards given up per game, rushing first downs giving up per game, opponent rushing yards per attempt, opponent completion percentage per game. Let's see, opponent passing yards per passing attempt, opponent yards per completion, opponent third down conversion percentage per game. And that was the one that was floating around there on Twitter. They were dead last, 131st in third down conversion percentage per game out of 131 teams. Oh yeah, and upon an opponent fumbles per game, 102nd. That that's okay. All right, cool. You don't cause a lot of fumbles that much either. But that's not something I'm really concerned about. That that's just it's just horrible statistics, man. I, and I'll say this that I, the 2020 defense and I'm going to do this later on this week. I'm going to look at the statistics of the 2020 defense. And I might do it halfway through the season, and I'll do halfway through the season, and then I'll do the whole season and compare them to the statistics now and see if it's even worse. Because I can guarantee you it's probably worse. I, I, I don't even know. 
I know me and Will Miles kind of talked about it, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to actually compare those. So uh, thank you for the question, Carlos. Bravo Dave, one of my um, my my avid listeners out there. So thank you, Bravo Dave, for uh, listening all the time. He says it's a combination of a few things. Tony is giving too much playing time to guys who have shown they can't or won't get the job done. I agree with that. Poor recruiting by the previous staff with too many hybrid players without a true position. That's true, too. Tony hasn't adapted his scheme to the guys on the roster. Also, we have fans. We as fans forgotten this defense and the players have been God awful since 2020. Let's not forget. These are essentially the same players that gave us 50 that gave up 50 plus points to Sanford last season. Yeah. Um, I'll say this though, in the 2021 season, the first six games, and I ran this stat, Florida only gave up 16.5 points per game. They played Tennessee and Alabama, which was two. Tennessee's offense was still good back then. They're not as good as they were, are now, but it was still good offense. Uh, Alabama, I mean, we played pretty well against Alabama. So, I mean, the the fight's there. You you see it there. Like, you see the guys there. And, uh, of course, with 2021 started fizzling down and, you know, the the confidence was taken out of the team, the, the coach was out the door, they gave up like 33.5 points per game. And I knew they could play better than that. But uh, you did see it, though. They can do it. So, uh, to me, that, that bucks the question is, are the players even confident? The, the, the player, are the players' attitudes even there? That's the, that's the first thing. Is their mentality that way? Uh, secondly, is it Tony's fault? Because, because to me, even if you got some players on that team with crappy attitudes, and I know Ventro Miller's not one of those guys, uh, but you you have some, and I already know that, and I'm not gonna call, I'm not gonna say that. We can probably figure that out. But sit those players. Obviously, that's your job as a head coach. Your job as a head coach to see who's there mentally, who's there physically. You either play them or you don't. And you let the next guy up and you just take your lumps if there is lumps or maybe there isn't lumps. Maybe there is a better player on that team. I mean, so uh, we'll say, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. We've seen progression from the staff. Uh, you know, we, we saw um, Naquan Wright get replaced by Lingard. Lingard did pretty good against LSU when he was in the game. I mean, he didn't get a lot of carries, but I thought he did good. I think he averaged like 5.7 yards per carry or something like that. But you're starting to see a little bit of the progression of the staff saying, okay, well, we're going to play this guy and see what happens. So I'll give him a little bit of credit there, but it's got to happen on defense. Um, there's there's no reason for this defensive line to be as bad as it is. I can't say it's been totally bad, but it's been pretty bad in some games. And there's no reason for this defensive backfield to be either miscommunication, bad, you know, out of, out of position. It's just awful, dude. It, it's so awful. Like defensive coordinators get fired for these type of defensive numbers. Obviously, they're not going to fire Patrick Tony, and I'm not going to tell them to fire Patrick Tony. But the defensive numbers right now are defensive numbers that get defensive coaches fired. That's all I got to say about that. This one's from Gator Josh, dude. I'll be honest, I have no freaking clue. Uh, you can see missed execution. Will Miles, who I just had on, did a great breakdown in a recent article on this game. To him, lots of miscues and bad scheme against the play ran against. I have no freaking clue. LOL. Yeah, that's why I had Will Miles on, man. <laughs> this defense is, uh, we need answers, man. <laughs> we need a lot of answers, especially in two weeks. So uh, hope we, uh, I hope two weeks is enough for this staff to figure something out against Georgia, which I'll say Stetson Bennett's not the best quarterback out there. Uh Georgia's not the same Georgia they were last year defensively, but they're still good. Like, Georgia is still good, and they're still going to be tough. They're going to be the toughest opponent we've played on our schedule thus far. And from what I've seen from this defense, man, 
it could get ugly. But I'll say this too. Um, last year, uh, when Stetson Bennett had to drive the field, he only really put up 13 points because the other 21 points were off short turnovers and a pick six. So <laughs> if that's anything to lay your head on, um, you can lay your head on that. But uh, every year changes. <laughs> so uh, we'll just have to see what happens in Jacksonville in a couple weeks. This one's from Ryan Corvey. Lack of pressure, edge, and gap discipline combined with bad safety play due to no pressure. You don't want to see the corners push up. What you're seeing is the definition of losing at the line of scrimmage. Comeback routes and crossers expose this. Time is a defense's worst enemy. Both combined, you don't have to imagine the chaos that would bring. We're seeing it every week. Defensive tackles and defensive ends making winnable one-on-ones for the linebacker, and winning is the key to this. Uh, Yeah, I mean... The defensive line hasn't helped this defensive backfield out either. Obviously, if you're not getting any pressure, that gives the wide receiver a little bit more time to get open. And that's when defenses can break down. And that's when, you know, defensive plays uh, are obviously are are broken up. And then wide receivers can catch a football and maybe have some yards after the catch. I I get that. I mean, it's a collaboration of both. I'm not going to just blame it on the defensive backfield. I mean, this defense has to get some sort of pressure. I mean, when... The quarterback's not being pressured, and he has all day to throw the football. I mean, even if he doesn't have a guy open and there's a good backfield defensive play, the, the kid can just take off running because no defensive lineman's going to tackle him if they're all back there, right? Take off running for about 10 yards, and there you go. You got a first down. So, yeah, man, it, it's a mess right now. It's a mess. And, and I'll say this. I, I don't even our, – our recruiting, I'll, I'll say this. We got good players. We have good players back there, but – it lacks speed. We lack speed in the defensive backfield. I mean, when a quarterback takes off running, it takes forever for somebody to come and tackle him. And when they do, sometimes they don't even make the tackle. That's even worse. Like, you go back to that USF game, and I said it, what, six podcasts ago? Um, they have a 5'8", 165 running back, and he rushed 150 yards. I said, give me a football. I'll rush 150 yards. <laughs> I'm that same size. I'm that same weight. <laughs> yeah, give me a football, right? So, uh, yeah, it's something's got to be done, man. Something's got to be figured out. And, and, and I'll say this as a, as a Florida Gator fan, just expect the defense to get scored on. You just want to m- hope that they can at least get some stops and this offense can at least run the ball effectively, keep the other team's offense off the field, maybe wear down the other team's defense, and maybe kind of making it an even game, maybe get some turnovers. I mean, this defense is going to get scored on, but you want to limit those scores, and that's the thing that you're going to have to kind of work on here in these two weeks. So I uh, appreciate the the question there, Ryan. Christopher Dyer, one of my long-tenured listeners here too, ever since I got on the beat, he says, why can't it be both? The defense has played so poorly that I could write an essay paper regarding on all the issues I see. If it was one or two issues, then this problem would be easier to diagnose. But the defensive problems keep compounding whenever we play mobile quarterbacks with good arms. Yeah, I mean, I can't say Stetson Bennett has a good arm, but he's a mobile quarterback. And and the good th- the, the thing that Stetson Bennett does is his decision-making is pretty good. Um, yeah, he's not going to chuck the football 70 yards, but uh, it, when he's pressured or you know, whenever something happens or something breaks down, he either throws it out of bounds or he finds an open guy. So, I mean... You know, if you got a quarterback that can manage that game with a good defense, you're going to get torched if, you're, if your defense is just terrible. It's awful. So, yeah, defense is a, is a team effort, man. When one person's not doing their job, it makes it harder on the other guys back there. And we know which guys are not doing their job. We see it on film. I mean, I mean, you see it in the stat lines. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not hard to tell. But as I said, man, um, 
two weeks, got to figure it out. Marlon Coleman, straight and simple, he just says players, yep. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what this recruiting class is. I mean, you've got, I think, like five or so pretty highly ranked defensive linemen. I mean, obviously, Kelby Collins uh, leading that charge there is the highest guy. Uh, Florida's not done. I mean, you still have Kermani McLean, who's supposed to commit here soon. And then Caden McDonald, he, he, he's supposed to commit here soon. So you got two guys here that's supposed to commit here in October. Uh, if you were to ask me, they're both Florida. But uh, as I said, I'm not the biggest recruiting expert. I do know some things, but I'm not an expert. Uh, I would say both those guys come to Florida. So, I mean, it's a very defensive-heavy recruiting class, and that's what you got to do, and especially right now with just the way that it is. You see the holes. You see where we need help. And Florida, you, you can't blame the coaching staff. They're they're going right after it. They know what the, the issues are, and they're getting the guys. And wide receiver, too. I mean, obviously, we, we've only played uh, like three wide receivers. That's all we really have on this team, unless there's like a bright spot that we don't know about that, that's not being put out there on the field. I mean, so they, they've taken care of wide receiver this class, too. And I'm not saying that they're not. They could not be done. We don't know. We don't know who they're going to get out of the portal at the end of the year. We don't know how this recruiting class is going to look. I mean, so at least the coaching staff is knowing what issues that they're having this year and recruiting towards that as well. Wes says, this is a scheme and Tony problem. Good coordinators make adjustments. And this has been the same. Sorry, piss poor defense from... Weeks one to seven, I, I I do agree. I do agree with the the defense not changing from weeks one to seven. We've just seen the same result. Uh, do we need better players? Sure, but if you line better players up eight yards deep, I guess what they're they're still going to get cooked. Well, I I'll say this: um, you go back to the 2012 defense or the 13 or 14. Now these were elite defensive classes. I mean. These were five-star guys all over the place. I mean, Will Muschamp did a really good job of recruiting defense. The more speed you got on your defense, the more yards you're allowed to give up in space. We don't have the guys to have them sit five or eight yards back. These guys aren't fast at all. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that all of them aren't fast. Some of these guys aren't fast enough to be able to go that far. And, and then that's that's why you see a receiver catch a football and there's plenty of green grass in front of them. For the most part, Tennessee game, you saw it all over the place, but those are missed assignments and people calling one guy not doing their job and, and all that, but we don't have fast guys. I mean, usually back when we had the elite defenses, if somebody caught a pass out of the backfield, there was some dude flying right after him. So that's another issue, too. you got to recruit elite on defense. That's I mean, Georgia doesn't have that problem. Somebody catches a football against them. There's not many yards after the catch after that, and they're not missing a lot of tackles either if you go to their pro football focus stats or you go to any other site. So, yeah, I mean, you, you need elite. You need elite on defense. Um, you need some elite. I will say that. You need good guys, but mix them with elite guys. Uh, but the more elite you get, obviously, you know, the, the defense looks better. So I'll say it's a combination of we don't have the players I mean, we have some, but we don't have them. Uh, got a scheme better for him. I mean, Dan Mullen, he was a good offensive coordinator. Uh, he didn't have good quarterbacks. Felipe Franks wasn't a good quarterback when Dan Mullen got here. He schemed around his strengths to make him an average quarterback. I mean, he made Felipe Franks better. Felipe Franks wasn't a world beater, but he made him better. We need to see the same thing on defense. Scheme around the guy's strengths. Put them in a position to make plays. And then maybe you're not ranked 100 in defensive. Maybe you're ranked around 80 or 70th by the end of the year. So, yeah, 
it's still a coaching issue as well. So you got to put the blame on the coaches, but also at the same time, you have to put the blame on the players. It's it's a collaboration of everything, if you ask me. Lucas the Gator Man says players too. I agree. It's more than that, but yes, we do need the defensive players. Big Gator says we expected players that's been mediocre for years now to magically get way better. We should count our losses and let younger guys play more to gain experience. More Wingo, Collier, McClellan, Wilson, McMillan. Williams, etc. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't expect it to magically get better, but I expected it to at least be a little bit better than it was at towards the end of the year last year and in 2020. I mean, we still got talent on defense. As I said, we don't have really fast players for the, I would say for the most part, probably, but it, it's, it shouldn't be this bad. I mean, we're playing like a defense like a Mac defense, not even a Mac defense. It, it's so bad. And and we're doing it. If we were doing it like against Tennessee, it's okay because Tennessee's proven that they're a high-powered offense this year. So, okay, we give you a pass on that. But when you're doing it against teams like USF, um, Kentucky, uh, well, I can't really say Kentucky. We, we kind of lost that. We shot ourselves in the foot that game. But like USF, and even the Eastern Washington game, they were getting yardage. I mean, obviously we beat them, we blew them out, and everybody overlooked that, but we allowed them to score, I think it was like 17 points, and it, we allowed a lot of yardage against them, which we shouldn't have. That's, it's a big sky team. Like, so there's no excuse for this defense to be this bad with the talent that you have, regardless, because you've played teams lower than you, and you've got, I mean, LSU, they weren't, <laughs> I mean, I just went through their statistics and what we gave up to them. Shouldn't be doing that either. LSU wasn't a good team before we played them. Florida State held them to 20-some-odd points, and they beat them. This thing was 24 to 23. Yeah, that's another thing that I don't even want to mention right now. That's how disheartened I am with this defense. All right, going to read a few more here. There's a lot, so I'm scrolling through. We'll do Ken Musk. David, it's a line of scrimmage game. On defense, we lose on the line of scrimmage all year long. Last year, too, we need more players who can win on the line of scrimmage, stop the run, and make the quarterback uncomfortable on passing downs. The one time the quarterback was uncomfortable yesterday, he threw a pick, yeah? I, I'll say that. He threw a pick. Obviously, it was called back with the the whole thing. But it, even if you just take that away, I mean, he was pressured. He did throw a pick to Jason Marshall. Um, but you're right. Even, even Shane Matthews, he even commented on one of my tweets and said, we need to get pressure. I mean, you can't get pressure on the quarterback. You're going to get cooked all day long. So, yeah, I get that. It is a line of scrimmage game, and that's where the, the coaching staff, uh, that's where they've recruited a lot of defensive linemen in this class. They know, they know the issues. They know the glaring issues. Uh, even Bill Napier, he said it best. He said it is a line of scrimmage game. I mean, it is. So, you know, he didn't have much when he came in here. I think there's there's still no excuse for some of the guys on the defensive line to be playing as bad as they are. Um, but as I said, it, defensive line's a whole team effort. And when you don't have the the players in some parts of that defensive line, you do. Uh, others got to make up for it too. So I kind of get that. But it's just, it still shouldn't be this bad. Uh, but as I said, man, um, it's coaching staff. They're, they're recruiting. They're recruiting for it, so uh, hopefully, it, you know, it get fixed down the line. Andy Alabizo, yeah, one of my guys over here from Roswell, Georgia, right up the street, man. Uh, it may seem like a cop-out, but the truth is somewhere in the middle is usually the case. Perhaps the week off will do everyone a bit of good. 
I know it's Georgia, but any signs of both a smarter scheme and players overachieving would be a positive. Yeah, I mean, even if you lose this game to Georgia, which we pretty much think that we're going to lose, I want to win it. <laughs> I've tried to find ways that we can win this game as opposed to losing it just because I don't like Georgia and I live here. But even if we lose this game, do we get any three and outs? What do the three and outs look like? Turnovers? Uh, is there better communication? Is there better, you know, a better play calling on defense? Uh, all those things I want to see. And it's like I said, Dan Mullen, he didn't have the quarterback when he came here, but he schemed around him to make him better. You can scheme around defensive players in the backfield and, and in some on defensive line to make them better too. Got to make adjustments as a coach. You got to. And, and as I said, I expect Florida to give up points. I'm not expecting them to come out and just shut everybody out the next half of the season or anything like that. But as I said, when the season, as the season goes, teams are supposed to get better. Florida's not getting better on that side of the football. Offensive, I'll say this, offense, they've made some strides. They're not perfect still, but they've made strides. I haven't seen anything like that from the defense yet. So, uh, yeah, I said two weeks to figure it out. And I, I, as I said, we play Georgia. I get that. They're not the, they're not the best offensive team on, on the planet. I, I mean, I know their points per game is pretty high. A lot of those points per game are on short fields because of the defense and block kicks and such. Uh, but... Their defense isn't like a world-beater defense. Uh, I'll, I'll say that their defense is pretty average. I'll say it's a little bit above average, um, but I, I don't—we've played way better offensive teams. Like Tennessee, we gave up 38. I mean, we gave up 42 to LSU, whose offense is awful. <laughs> we gave up 42. Um, so, as I said, man, you just got to figure out what's going on, and you got to figure it out quick because— Two weeks does come quick. All right, last one here. Country Boy. These are three four-star athletes. Uh, some of them are five. Jason Marshall, uh, if you do Kamari, Kamari Wilson, I'll say he's a five. They knocked him down a four before. That that was dumb. Kamari Wilson's still a five-star. Uh, so we got some five-star players. Not many, but these are three and four-star athletes. And some of them are top 100 guys, top 150. Uh, some of them are 200, though. Uh, would be a mistake to classify them as unskilled. There are programs with less skill and higher performance. S-H-I-T, I'm not going to say it. Look at Vanderbilt. It has a better defense than we do. Coaching problem. I agree there. I said that too because me and Will Miles were talking about it. How is this team worse than Vanderbilt? <laughs> we, we kept saying, how is this team worse than Missouri? How is it worse than Vanderbilt? How, like We were just naming off teams before we even recorded. So, yeah, it's a coaching issue as well. Now, as I said, if there's, if there's guys on the team and their attitudes or what, I don't even know what the issue is. But if there's guys on the team that's not performing mentally or physically, you get rid of them and you just try something different. That's how you adjust. That's how you make decisions and you adjust and you scheme around your problems on defense, whether you replace or put better players in a better position. And if they're not doing the job, you bench them. It's not that hard. It's, it's a simple thing to figure out. So, yeah. Anyway. Thank you all for sending in your comments or questions. I know this podcast went a little bit long, but it's well-deserved for you folks because explanations need to be made. And I might be putting out a little bit more content this week. We'll just have to see how my schedule goes this week uh, where I work right now is is pretty um, busy. So we'll see if I can get out there and uh, maybe, maybe, maybe do a Twitter space or something. I haven't done one of those in my podcast account, so I might try to do that and see if maybe we can all vent and try to figure something out and... Uh, as I said, man, it, it, it's it's been a rough one, especially for this defense. This past three years, historically bad. This year, probably. But there's a bye week. 
there's time to figure things out. And as I said, it, these rivalry games, the, the Jacksonville, the Florida Georgia game, I mean, it, it's it's you never know what's going to happen. They say the team that rushes the most yards in this game wins the football game. Uh, there's been times where, or they say they usually win the football game. There's times where we've rushed more yards than Georgia, and we've still lost. And there's times where Georgia's rushed more than we have, and we've won. So uh, rivalry games are different, man. I didn't expect for us to play as well as we did last year at the beginning. I, I know the turnovers before halftime were a thing, but like if you take away those turnovers, Florida defensively played pretty good. I mean, we held them three to nothing before halftime before the the, the really bad turnover plays happened. So. Uh, it's a weird game, man. I mean, Florida can be at its worst, and they play way better in this game, and vice versa. Uh, Georgia does, has done the same thing historically in the past, so I'm not saying that there's hope that we're going to win the game or anything, but I mean, you just don't know. Every Saturday is different, so as I said, hopefully the staff figures things out in two weeks in Florida. Hopefully can roll out of there with a... I'll say this, man. If Florida was able to pull off the upset, and they beat Georgia... I would not care what the record looked like after that. Now, I would want to beat Florida State, but, man, just beating Georgia and, and ruining their shot at a playoff or something, that would just make my day. And that would actually make it better on Billy Napier and the staff. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of fans would be a little bit more happier, especially, you know, coming into the game. You got kids announcing their, their commitments to either Florida or somewhere else. So maybe you pick a couple of guys up there, uh, Cormani McLean and Caden McDaniel if, or Mc. I think it's McDonald. If you pick them up, hey, you're going in with a little bit of good vibes going into that Jacksonville game, and hey, you never know what happens. But folks, that will do it. That'll do it for this episode of Getting Swapped. I know uh, it wasn't a good showing last week against LSU, and I got some other news here, actually, that just actually happened today. Anthony Richardson becomes the first Florida athlete to sign with Gatorade. That's actually huge. And I'll say, and I'll, and I'll tell you why that's huge, because... Obviously, if, if Anthony Richardson's draft status, it goes down and, and whatever, and uh, NFL teams say second or third round, you know, getting an endorsement like this, getting a, a, you know, whatever, this NIL deal from Gatorade, he'll stay for another year plus at the same time. DJ Lagway, some of these recruits, the, these quarterback recruits that, that attended the LSU game and has visited Florida, they look at that and they say, man, Gatorade? I can get an you know, NIL deal from Gatorade? That's big. That's huge. Actually, you know, getting Gatorade on board with with the Florida athletes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I had to mention that before I ended this podcast. I was about to end it. Yeah. Good deal for Anthony Richardson. Uh, Round of applause, man. I'll I'll say this. He deserves it, man. Uh, Maybe his gameplay hasn't been the best. It's his first starting year. But the things that he does off the field and some of the other stuff that he does is just is, is awesome, dude. It's elite. It's elite status. So, uh, hats off to Anthony Richardson, Gatorade. And also, before I uh, end this podcast, shout out there to Ben Chase. Ben Chase chasing 70 now instead of 60. He's, uh, I think, he's on his 30th game now. A uh, a good friend of mine, good buddy of mine, always at those Harmonic Woods tailgates and always, um, you know, he's always been a good friend. He's a good guy, really down-to-earth guy, uh, never said anything bad about anybody, always done good things, was always funny, uh, did all these challenges if we lost and stuff like that, so... He's a funny dude, real well-rounded, and uh, everybody show your support to Ben Chase out there, at Benji Chase on Twitter, man, uh, chasing 70 games. That's uh, the world record, I think, is like 50. He's trying to he's trying to kill it. He's trying to kill it with 70. So, yeah, if you see Ben Chase out there, give him your support. He's everywhere. He's been on SEC Network. He's been on the radio shows, numerous news stations. So, yeah, man, 
check him out, Ben Chase, and that'll do it, man. That'll do it for this episode of Getting Swamped, your latest in football statistics, special guests, and social media. Thank you for listening to Getting Swamped.